God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It was the one thing that they couldn't do, that they wouldn't do. The Pharisees, the scribes, they had been following Jesus to hear what he had to say and what he heard what they heard here made them extremely dissatisfied they had been grumbling already grumbling like the Israelites in the wilderness you remember when Moses was leading them through the wilderness and the Israelites were grumbling because they didn't like the things that God was doing the way that God was leading them through his servant Moses they're grumbling here, the scribes and the Pharisees, because they don't like the things that this Jesus is saying, the way that God seems to be leading through him. So they are grumbling. And when Jesus tells these stories, he's encouraging them, exhorting them to do the one thing that they can't do, won't do. Jesus says there's a shepherd with 100 sheep. And one of those sheep wanders off, as sheep are prone to do, and he leaves the other 99 in the open country to go and to pursue that one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he rejoices, throws that sheep onto his shoulder, and he calls to all of his friends and neighbors, rejoice with me. Jesus talks about a, a woman who loses one coin. Incidentally, this is a true story, we found a lost wedding ring yesterday. So if anybody's looking for a wedding ring, that's appropriate to the, uh, to the sermon. Jesus tells a story of this woman who loses one coin and looks, scours everything to try and find that one lost coin. And when she does, she rejoices. And she calls together her friends and her neighbors and she says, rejoice with me. Now, do you notice a commonality between those two stories? Of course, there's a lot of commonalities. Both of them, the, the focus, the theme of it is what's lost and what's found. That one is lost and then the, the shepherd or the woman goes and searches for that one lost one and finds it. But the thing that Jesus is really driving home with this story is how each of them concludes. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. See, that's the one thing that the scribes and the Pharisees, that they cannot do, that they will not do with Jesus right now. As they look out and they see him welcoming all manner of riffraff, the tax collectors, the sinners, the people that nobody else wants to have anything to do with. He is inviting them. He is going out and finding those lost sheep, that lost coin. And he is saying to those scribes and Pharisees, to all of those religious leaders, to those who have already been found by their Lord and Savior, he is saying to them, rejoice with me. Because these lost ones have been found. Now they have been gathered into the family of God. Let's have a party. But rejoicing with Jesus is the one thing that they can't do, won't do. Why? Is it just because they're party poopers? <laughs> because they're too smug to rejoice with Jesus over these found ones? Well, no doubt that might be part of it. But I think there's something deeper going on here. To get at that, I want to talk about someone totally at the other end of the spectrum and the end of the time spectrum, too. A guy by the name of Ernest Hemingway. You guys have heard of Ernest Hemingway before. Great author, and he's not a stranger to northern Michigan, either. Did his summers up here in northern Michigan. Throughout his life, Ernest Hemingway was known as kind of a wild child. 
He lived a pretty wild and carefree life. Even as a boy, as a youngster, if you read his stories, you get a feel for that. Well, on his 21st birthday, his mom gave him a birthday card and a letter with it. Well, I think it speaks to the problem for the scribes and the Pharisees here. It's a birthday card that none of us would ever want to receive. I'll tell you in a minute what she said in that birthday card. But go back for a second to the scribes and the Pharisees. I want you to think about them. We, when we hear them, we hear these people who, oh, these are the opponents of Jesus. We think of them as the bad guys. But fact of the matter is, at the time of our Lord, they were the good guys. They were the ones who were devoted to God's truth, to following God in God's ways. They were the ones that if anybody was asked, okay, who are the most holy among you? Who are the ones that we should look to as the paragons of righteousness in our day? People would say without batting an eyelash, look at the Pharisees. Look at the scribes. They're the ones who are devoted to learning and to teaching God's word. They were, if you will, the firstborn. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the scriptures speak this way of God's people being the firstborn. I brought the Israelites. I brought them out as my firstborn son. These scribes and Pharisees, they're like the firstborn. They're the responsible ones. They're the ones that you can count on getting back home on time and not flouting the curfew. They're the ones who are going to do their chores, okay? They are that consummate firstborn son, are those scribes and Pharisees. They're the ones that God, seemingly, could count on. But now, now they are seeing all of these tax collectors and sinners, all of these people whom they think God shouldn't have anything to do with. Now they're the ones whom Jesus is welcoming in. And they're upset. They're flustered. This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. Why are they so upset? Let me go back to Ernest Hemingway and the letter that he gets from his mom. On his 21st birthday, his mom, whose name, ironically, was Grace, she wrote to him with a warning. Ernest, you need to quit your ways or get lost. <laughs> she compared her love for him to a bank account that was drawing low. And here's what she says. Unless you, my son Ernest, come to yourself, cease your lazy loafing and pleasure-seeking, there is nothing before you but bankruptcy. You have overdrawn. Overdrawn what? Overdrawn from his mother's love. And he's about to go bankrupt. This is a card I hope none of us would or have ever gotten from our mom. Surely, if anybody can show unconditional love to their kids, it would be the mom, right? But she instead compares her love to this finite amount. It's like a bank account that's drawing low and it's getting in the red and Ernest is about to get some overdraft fees. See? Because he, ha he has used up all of her compassion, all of her, her forgiveness, all of her patience. Why do I tell you this story? Because the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious leaders, they have a conception of God's love as though it were finite. That it, it's a scarce resource. And they're thinking of it even more to the point as a zero-sum proposition. A zero-sum proposition. In other words, there's only so much of God's love that's out there, his favor and his kindness and his acceptance. And so if Jesus is going around saying that now he's welcoming in the tax collectors and the sinners, that can only mean bad news for who? The scribes 
and the Pharisees. If God loves them, if he forgives them, if he receives them, well, then what does he think about us? Are you tracking with me? Ergo, how could they possibly rejoice with these newcomers to the kingdom of God? Because they can't help but see them as competition for the favor of the Heavenly Father. They can't help but look at them as others who are, are scrambling also into the kingdom of God. And if they get in, then we don't. Or you might think of it like this. It's like if the backup quarterback comes in and suddenly he's having a great game. The first stringer can't get excited about that. Only one of them can be quarterback at a time. If he's doing well, that means worse for me. This is the conception of, of God's love that those religious leaders have of their Lord. If Jesus is welcoming tax collectors and sinners, he must be rejecting us. But Jesus tells these stories of a, a shepherd seeking the one lost sheep, of a woman seeking the one lost coin, to convey to them and to us, no, 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 no. The favor of your father is not finite. The love of your Lord is not a scarce resource. It is inexhaustible. The reason that that good shepherd can go after the one lost sheep and leave the other 99 in the country, by the way, I don't know if we have any shepherds in the crowd this morning, but I'm assuming that's probably not good shepherd practice, actually. You know, you've got 100 sheep, you lose one, you chalk it up, okay? That's just part of it. We do some loss prevention around the sheepfold here, but it's going to happen. But Jesus tells the story to make clear, no, the good shepherd, he can leave the 99 and go after the one because there's no competition here. His love, his favor, his attention is inexhaustible. Just because he is going after that one doesn't mean that he doesn't care about the other 99. Indeed, he loves all of them alike recklessly infinitely. Such is the favor of your Lord and Savior for you and for me. You cannot use up that love of our Lord. And we know it for certain because our Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, he went out to seek his lost sheep, each and every one of you, chief of sinners though you be. The good shepherd took you and shouldered the burden of your sin on the cross, laid down his life in order to give you his life. You don't have to question or doubt or wonder if you're using up the compassion of Christ. You can't. It's inexhaustible. And because this is such good news, I want to just linger here for a minute and, and ponder a couple of the facets of, of why this is such good tidings for you and for me. First, to think about how God is inexhaustible. There's this acronym that psychologists use sometimes, HALT. You ever heard this? HALT, H-A-L-T. Stands for, I think, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. The idea is, if you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, or indeed if you are all of those, that you need to be careful, see? You shouldn't be talking to people, for example. <laughs> or having meaningful, important conversations. If you're somebody who struggles with addiction, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you need to be careful because you find yourself more susceptible in those moments. The upshot of it for you and for me is that we are humans who get worn up and worn out. 
Sometimes you find yourself hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And no matter how much you might love your kids, no matter how much you want to be nice to your neighbor, everybody finds that point where they just snap, right? Well, not you people. I mean, you guys are good Christian people. But other people out there, every single one of us, we have that point where we can just get worn up and worn out. But guess what? You have a Lord who does not get worn up or worn out. You have a, a Savior who has an inexhaustible supply of love. In our Old Testament reading, we about, heard about how God, as the Good Shepherd, keeps going after his sheep. No matter how many times they should get lost, no matter how far they should stray, he keeps on pursuing. He is indefatigable. He is inexhaustible in his love for his sheep. He keeps going after them. And this is great news for you and me, too, because as Paul points out, St. Paul pointed out in our epistle reading, now, Paul, if ever there was an Ernest Hemingway type in the scriptures, right? somebody who was using up the patience of God, it must have been Paul, the guy formerly known as, as Saul. Here's somebody who was persecuting these early Christians, who was kicking against the goats, as Jesus will later say. But Paul says, for just this reason, God showed compassion to me as the chief of sinners. Why? So that I might be an example of the perfect patience, the perfect patience of Christ. He has perfect patience toward you and toward me. So often as we fail, so often as we fall, so often as you stray away from him, still your inexhaustible Savior seeks you out and gathers you back. And there's a second reason that especially comes to mind, why this is, is such good news. Our Savior is inexhaustible, and His love is too. It never runs out, and we're not competing for it. Although we've all been there, we've all felt that. I was reminded of it recently. Uh, Ann and I, we went down to Grand Rapids for a, a concert, my favorite band. If you hang out with me very long, you hear me mention the Avid Brothers. Uh, I love it. It was great. And the concert was awesome. And they have this powerful song. They sung it in the concert called Murder in the City. That doesn't sound very nice. You'll just have to listen to the whole song. But there's one moment in the song where they're recounting a story. That the group is called the Avid Brothers. It actually is a, a pair of brothers. And, and one of the brothers, Seth, is singing. And you guys know me. I like to sing a little bit. It goes like this. He says, I wonder which brother is better, which one our parents love the most. I seem to get in lots of trouble. They seem to let the other go. Any of you know that story? <laughs> you wonder, which of us do our parents love more? And of course, parents, we're perfect. We love all of our children unconditionally and perfectly equally, right? As we talked about last week, even in our best moments, parents fail. Sometimes we do show favoritism against our best judgment. But we have a Savior who doesn't. And in that song, it goes on. A tear fell from my father's eyes. I wondered what my dad would say. He said, I love you, and I'm proud of you both in so many different ways. How much more is that true with the love of your Heavenly Father? 
You are not competing against the, the fellow people in the pews, the others in your family, or indeed those who don't know Christ outside of our walls. The love of our Savior is inexhaustible for you and for me. And a day is soon coming when Christ will come and gather all of his sheep. And he will say to us all, rejoice with me. On that day there will be a feast to end all feasts. As he gathers all the lost, all of the strayed, we come together with one heart and one mind, with one voice, praising our Lord and Savior, no longer with a sense of, of pride or comparison or of vanity, but instead giving thanks to God that his grace is so large, that his love is so deep, that his favor is so inexhaustible that he could bring us all into his family. And we get a foretaste of that feast to come when we gather together at this table. We receive our Lord's body and blood and our great good shepherd of the sheep who laid down his life for you and me, gives that life and presses it to your lips. And you notice week by week, we never, ever run out because that is the inexhaustible love of your Savior. That is the infinite favor of your heavenly Father given for you today and every day that so often as you stray, so much as you sin, as you fail, and as you fall, you have the perfect patience of the good shepherd who seeks you out puts you on his shoulders, and brings you home. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.